And so would someone now like to read both the koan and woman's comment? I'll do it, Nelda. Thank you so much, Gail. Even though I don't want to read that incredibly long name. <laughs> Very daunting. You could just say S. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> okay, case 42, the girl comes out of Samadhi. Once the world honored one, oops, lost my place, told the story of Devra, Devar Raja, Buddha, and Manjushri, who wanted to go to his Buddha land where all the Buddhas were gathering to collect the essential sutras but Manjushri was forbidden. When Manjushri arrived, all the Buddhas had already returned to their own abodes except a girl named Depart from Consciousness, who remained sitting in Samadhi near Devaraja Buddha. Manjushri asked Devaraja Buddha, how is it that a girl is here and even sitting next to you, but I may not? Devra Raja Buddha told Manjushri, bring that girl out of Samadhi and ask her yourself. Manjushri circumambulated her three times and snapped his fingers, which didn't wake her up. Then he took her up to the Brahma heaven, exhausting all of his spiritual powers without being able to bring her out of Samadhi. The world honored one said, even hundreds of thousands of Manjushris would not be able to bring this girl out of her samadhi. Below, past 1,200,000,000 Ganges rivers of Buddha lands, there is a bodhisattva named Sarvana Vajrayan Viskamdin who can bring this girl out of samadhi. In that instant, Sarvana Varanaviskamdin, Bodhisattva, emerged from the ground and made obeisance to the World Honored One. The World Honored One directed Sarvana Varanaviskamdin to snap his fingers. The girl came out of her samadhi. <laughs> Woman's comment. Old man Sakyamuni staged this comedy. The inferior would not be able to appreciate it. What is more, Manjushri is the teacher of seven Buddhas, so why couldn't he bring the girl out of Samadhi? Sarvana Vajrana Vishkambin was only a bodhisattva of the first Bhumi. Why then could he bring her out? If you perceive this intimately, then this frantic consciousness of karma is precisely the great Samadhi of the Dragon Kings. Whether able or unable to bring her out, you and I are already free. A facade of a god or a mask of a demon, the feat is indeed outstanding. So now we're going to, where are my instructions? Sit for five more minutes. And then we'll write our first impressions of the koan and woman's comment for five minutes. So first we'll sit.
So would anyone like to share what they um, wrote or thought? I would um, like to share that when I read this, I got a little bit of a headache. <laughs> and I almost it made me feel tired. And then I, I got to thinking that Manjushri must have felt the same way. You know, mm -hmm. he was a little bit frustrated. You know, here everybody else gets Buddha's wisdom teachings. He can't even go sit next to the Buddha. And then the Buddha tells him, well, here, you want to attain this. So wake this girl up. And it turns out to be an impossible task for Manjushri. And it kind of reminds me of, um, especially when I first started hearing about enlightenment and awakening, how frustrating it felt. Um, I, I felt like I needed to do something in order to get somewhere. <laughs> so I was kind of relating to Manjushri. And then at the very end of sort of the ultimate um, humiliation, the Buddha calls some guy who doesn't have near the, um, let's say the background or, you know, the many years of, of study that Manjushri has and just tells him, hey, snap your fingers. The guy snaps his fingers and the girl wakes up. And it's as if, you know, the guy that he called, you could say almost like a beginner's mind. It's sort of like he wasn't even thinking he needed to attain anything. The Buddha just said, do it. And he did it, you know. <laughs> uh, but in this, in this uh, koan, I'm, I'm really uh, relating to Manjushri and how... Um, I think that I need to actually accomplish or do something or solve something to get somewhere. I mean, what if I didn't? What if it was already there? <laughs> you know, I just had never seen it, you know? It's so, uh, so that's, that's what this thing's bringing up in me. We haven't read many, uh, hardly any in this, in this collection where a woman is kind of the hero. <laughs> And Manjushri is the Bodhisattva of wisdom, and he can't do anything. And we see the same um, in Terragatha, Terra, what, why can't Theravadin. I say it? Theravadin. Theravadin Buddhism, uh, the sutras are very important, the teachings. And here, the person who's able to get her out of samadhi is, comes from the ground rather than from the books. Yeah. Her, her job to me in this, um, her role was to present Manjushri with, with an impossible task, just to put him up against that boundary of his own ability to get somewhere. Do you know? She, she, had to, she had to humble him. That was her job. Well, was it her job though? I mean, I, and I'm, I'm definitely just having a ton of resistance to this koan, like just so much. I'm just like, this woman's sitting in Samadhi, what are all these guys doing trying to bring her out of it? Just like, leave her alone, let her be in Samadhi. Like, yes. to me, I read it as like, she did, her job wasn't to do anything, but to be in Samadhi. Like, that's just what she was doing. It's like, 
it, Manjushri is the really kind of, I read him as the one putting himself in an impossible position. Yeah, that's what we do. I, that's what I do yeah. for sure. <laughs> you know, I, I did it for years. May I read what I wrote? I think Nelda wants to say something, but she's muted. I'm sorry. I, I'm with Allison, not so much in being frustrated, but in loving that. Uh, this took me back to our Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra, where Elavakita Shvara um, says, Shariputra, who isn't that the, the Buddha of, of, of wisdom? And so she's in part, no, who's Elevik, who's, who's Sherry Putra? Oh, I don't, just a Bodhisattva, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, okay. Sherry Putra is just a student of the Buddha. Okay, so is, is and isn't Elevikita Shvara, is that a female Bodhisattva? Sometimes female and sometimes male, okay. but, but, so but I, also I, of, I envision compassion. I envision, okay, I envision Elevikita Shvara as, um, female and so here's a female in our heart of perfect a great perfect wisdom sutra just laying out for um sherry putra what is what is and what isn't and so this sort of reminded me of it and, and so this is sort of a facet of what allison is saying the way this koan and i'll start with i don't know um um resonated with me is that it is dripping with ego <laughs> on mm -hmm. on manjushri's uh -huh. side he wants to go be with all the buddhas he wants to sit next to the buddha he has a construct of what a girl is a mere girl when he asks the question my gosh why does she get to sit with you he he calls on all his knowledge and powers to to do a power up thing and bring her out of, you know, her samadhi, um, which takes us to woman's comment that I love. It doesn't matter if you've got the facade of a god, a very studied um, scholar in Buddhism, or the mask of a demon, someone who comes up out of the ground. Not that that's where the on only demons reside, um, but we're all already free. And how lovely that his being defeated. I hope showed um, Manjushri that it didn't take all he thought it would take, that it just takes being in a bodhisattva heart, which he was supposed to be a bodhisattva. So I wonder what happened with the whole ego thing. Um, anyway, that's where I went. Yeah, just when you think you're free of ego. Yes. Uh, you'll, be, you'll be presented with a, 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 you know, something that maybe shows that you that you're not quite but um melanie where did you say you had something you wanted to read oh yeah i just wrote something while we were asked to gather our thoughts and i wrote my first impression is how beautiful and powerful the beginner's mind is there's no magic to the task there's only patience to wait until the girl roused nobody roused her through expertise she achieved her state naturally and dropped it naturally. There is no grand moment to achieving samadhi or being roused from it. When we wake from sleep, it is not our choice. Awakening happens at the right moment, and it is to be considered as momentous as opening the eyes each morning. 
Melanie, that's beautiful. That's ex that's exactly Absolutely. what the feeling I was getting. That was that was lovely. Oh, thank you. I don't don't know what to expect. It, <laughs> this is my first Cohen, so I just felt like the characters weren't important, but the actions are. And it doesn't really matter who the people or the characters in the play are, but what is the theme? And that's what I got. Right. I I I think that's where I was um, the feeling I was getting when I was putting myself with Manjushri is that uh, frustration of thinking that you need to attain something that mm -hmm. you know you know that you need to batter down the doors more or less you know if um, and perhaps we don't so let's start with gogo's comment allison we do alphabetical does that work for you and then yeah, I that guess... works. Um, okay. Yes. I'm, I'm turning off my video just because my connection is with me tonight. Um, but yes, okay. I'm very happy to read the, uh, the fir um, first paragraph or first two paragraphs. First par a paragraph at a time, each person. Unless it's a very short paragraph. And then right. Okay. Was Manjushri defeated? Did Sarvani Varankash uh, Vishkambin win? Are you able to see how both played their part so wonderfully in your life? Are you able to appreciate both win and loss, superior and inferior? What about the girl, Lili Naren, or depart from consciousness? How is she able to one-up Manjushri? In this comedy drama, everyone is a splendid performer. Shakyamuni, Shakyamuni has really outdone himself here. If you don't understand my questions, then you had better cultivate yourself for three innumerable eons before you see the light of day. Now, Shakyamuni is another name for Buddha. It's like a first name. Okay, who's next? You are. And Gail is. Oh, I'm sorry, it is Gail. And then Kim, I'm sorry. With me, with According to the Chinese Buddhist doctrine, <clears throat> bodhisattva's progress through 52 stages, progress mm -hmm. through 52 stages of practice. The last 10 stages are called the 10 bhumis or grounds. The 53rd stage is Buddhahood. This process entails three innumerable eons of practice. Manjushri Bodhisattva is supposed to be a bodhisattva of the highest caliber. At the 52nd stage of universal awakening, Bodhisattva Mahasattva, just shy of full Buddhahood. As the embodiment of prajna or wisdom, he is also known to have postponed his own Buddhahood and served as the teacher of seven Buddhas. Surely Manjushri has mastered all the meditative absorptions or samadhis. Why can't he wake up a mere girl who is in samadhi? Why is it that Saravana Vara Naviskambin, an inferior bodhisattva, who has attained only the 41st stage of bodhisattvahood, or first Bhumi, nothing compared to Manjushri, is able to wake the girl out of her absorption? This delightful case is meant for bookworm. 
lukewarm Buddhists who are doctrinally informed and well-read in Buddhist canonical literature. <laughs> Intellectual knowledge is not harmful in itself, but when you attach to it, you get yourself entangled in knots and can't get out. Overanalyzing is a common problem in modern life. The more you analyze things, the more entangled you become, sometimes becoming so stifled that you can't move forward or retreat. For these bookworms, Wuman offers a go on from a Mahayana Sutra entitled The Scripture Where All the Buddhas Collected Sexual Teachings, <coughs> or Hufro Yao Ji Jing. He shows that even Shakyamuni has a sense of humor, that he too knows the go on game. So my turn. Okay. Yes. For those whose mind is entangled by rational thinking, this case will totally not make any sense. Yet this is precisely the wonderful place to be. Allow this nonsensical mind to drive you to the abyss. May you wallow in the sea of right and wrong, success and defeat, superior and inferior. Perhaps when you exhaust your discursive thinking, you will see that the whole Buddhist project of escaping samsara is just a farce. In this very moment, you are Buddha. Past is present, future is now. No need to wait for three innumerable eons. There is yet another type of practitioner who is cultivated by somebody, the experience of meditative trance and of calm abiding. I often hear Buddhist yogis boasting about reaching certain states of jhana. Oh, I was in the first jhana at the last retreat. Oh, hey, I was in the third jhana last week for about an hour. Jhana or dhana refers to specific levels of meditative trends. There are traditionally eight levels. The ninth one is the state of liberation in the gradual Buddhist scheme of the meditative path. In Buddhist doctrine, there are those who reach liberation through meditation and those who realize liberation through wisdom. A third type is those who reach liberation through the dual realization of meditation and wisdom. Of course, experiences of meditative trends are quite pleasant, peaceful. They are also useful in stabilizing stop one's insight. These experiences arise as a natural outcome of meditation practice. In fact, the first teacher who taught meditation when I was a boy was an expert in summary. His name was Guan Guanyin. One time he entered with somebody and remained it for several weeks. However, one should not sit after these days lest them become objects of attachment. Chan is the path of liberation through wisdom. It basically sees these states as toys and props that perpetuate samadhi. It is fine to cultivate them after one is awakened to nourish one's practice because one would not attach to them. Also, it would be useful to know them to help others. However, 
one should not cultivate them, at least not deeply, before awakening, because it would be very difficult to let go of them. The pleasure from these states supersedes any worldly sensual pleasure. They can potentially lead us away from the purpose of practice. We might reify them as yet another object to be acquired, attained, thereby reinforcing attachment and duality. Both intellectualizing Buddhism and attaching to blissful states can be problematic. They belong to the world of appearances, where there is attaining and losing, having and not having. Inevitably, they alienate you from yourself and others. The more you acquire them, the more you may think there's something outside you that you have to seek after. Chan practitioner, oh, sorry, Stephanie. Wait, yeah, it was you, you said. Chan practitioners see the world of toys and props as a show. For this reason, Wu Men says in his verse, whether able or unable to bring her out, you and I are already free. A facade of a god or a mask of a demon, defeat is indeed outstanding. Isn't it foolish to attach to the characters in a comedy drama? Sometimes people get so engrossed with watching a movie, they forget that it's just a movie. Yet in your life, you are not cut up with the comedy of all the appearances and yet in your life, are you not cut up with the comedy of all the appearances and roles that you play? It's not the roles that are the problem. It's that you mistake them as your true identity, as your true original face. In this drama of life, you put on a facade of a god or a mask of a demon. Naturally, your roles change and responsibilities vary. Adapting to circumstances, there is no need to fixate on any specific form or standard. The fact is, you may not be putting on a facade, but others project on you all the time. They think you are a god or a demon. One time, a woman came to me complaining that her coworker was really horrible. She was manipulative and deceptive. In addition, her coworker was accusing her of doing things that she didn't do. She asked how to deal with that person. I asked her, why are you playing a role in her drama? She didn't quite get it at first, I explained. When others have an image of you and you get affected, it's like accepting their projections and getting all worked up by them. Meanwhile, understand that it's just their projection of you. How is that you? She felt better. Then I scolded her for projecting her own image on her coworker. People project their ideas on you and you do the same to them. You live in each other's dream and don't even realize it. Some people can play only one role and not another, but in playing such a role, they become miserable. For example, I've met practitioners whose sole agenda is to undermine <coughs> authority. There are all kinds of things going on inside them that need to be worked out. All they see is the outside world. When they see a teacher, they think of the teacher as an authority and find all kinds of faults. This makes them feel better <coughs> about themselves. But in doing so, they're really miserable. 
constantly undermining themselves and disclosing their own stupidity to everyone. Interestingly, everyone around them sees their authority problem except themselves. There are also teachers who can't get off the pedestal, who can't take criticism. They act like saints or gods all the time and put on airs. They're miserable because they live two lives, one public, the other private. Their lives are contradictions. In front of students, they act a certain way, but behind the scene, they're just typical people with vexations. In time, because of this incongruence, they become more removed from their students and more depressed. Eventually, they just collapse, revealing all of their faults and often doing something horrendous like sleeping with students or stealing money or doing drugs or alcohol. In other words, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Trained practitioners should be grounded, solid, and unpretentious. Everyone has shortcomings. We own face values and needs. There's no need to either hide them or flaunt them. You face them, embrace them, respond to them, and let them go. Not being moved by them, this is practice. In the midst of facing them, you have the correct view. Don't be someone you're not. This means not be an actor on edges. Of course, for some, this is their job. But what I mean here is that you should not attach to the role and games that you play. Know that originally is on good, IAG. No labels define you. Whoever you think you are, you know it. What you are is free. In your drama of life, you are Devaraja Buddha, Manjushri Bodhisattva, the girl named Depart from Consciousness, as well as Sarvani Varanavis Kanvin, Bodhisattva. You create your own Buddha lands and all the actors in it. In your creation, you get caught up with the roles that you play and all kinds of experiences you encounter. You create your own pleasure and pain. If you hold on to the notions of superiority and inferiority, you will not be able to pull the girl out of samadhi like Manjushri. But in moments when you are free from preconceived ideas about yourself and others, you're actually doing just fine. Aren't you being bodhisattva like oh, Savani Varanavish Kambin? Defeat is indeed outstanding. Sorry, guys. Fixed notions of yourself are never helpful. They ruin everything. In Japan, there is a dish called donburi, which is a common rice dish topped with various kinds of meat that the Japanese love to eat. Pork, for example, is a common topic. They call it katsu donburi or just katsudon for short. Japanese students often eat this dish the night before an exam because katsu is a homophone for winning or victorious, hoping to come out victorious in the exam. This is understandable. Who would want to eat defeat or <laughs> failure? But in life, you have to create your own defeat. 
If you have a fixed image of yourself, you ruin everything. You defeat yourself. It would be like putting rat turds on top of your Donburi, making rat turd Donburi. It would simply ruin the whole dish. <laughs> Inevitably, you insert self-referentiality into the panoply of life, ruining everything. There is no need to be bogged down by it. The point is to catch yourself doing this and putting the dish down. Never give it to someone else to eat. This rat turd analogy is equivalent to thoughts such as, I don't have this or that, or I'm not good at this, or wow, I'm very good at that, or I am depressed, or I've lost everything. My life is meaningless. These notions truly ruin your original freedom. When you discover that you are bound by this and that, see through, put down and observe this drama. Just enjoy the drama, go with the flow. You will discover something new. Do you know what that is? Okay, all in favor of just going with the drama. <laughs> we, we don't really have a choice, no. you know? <laughs> oh, the drama's too heavy. <laughs> I don't feel I have a choice, but at the same time, I don't need to, um, I don't need to attach to it or get stuck there, you know? Or contribute to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you call it? To ramp it up? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. I really, I really loved um, how uh, Gogu also talked about how people can get attached to um, the idea of being in samadhi, you know, being in some sort of a um, transcendent place, mm. you know. Um, at Apamana, they're always trying to bring us down from that notion. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, you think you could simultaneously be attached to it and be there? In where? samadhi? In samadhi and be attached to it? Yeah. I think it's like Gail said earlier. I, I, I think that we so easily and quickly, because of the lifelong patternings, fall into those patterns and can slip in and out, even if it's for a nanosecond. Well, well samadhi is an experience. It's an experience and it's, you know, from what I'm told, it's quite pleasurable. And so I guess you can get attached to that. We get attached to our experiences and- um, I guess what I'm referring to is, wouldn't you be losing it at that point of being exactly. attached to it? Exactly. But you can go in and, well, not have, been in samadhi i don't know if you can go in and out i'm assuming speculating that it's possible to even for seconds and then maybe catch yourself like we go into meditative states and then the monkey mind takes over and we go back and forth back and forth sometimes i don't know remember before he was talking about the experiencer and the experience and how we should shed the experiencer 
So being aware of being in samadhi seems to be the experiencer. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you've lost the experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. Everything changes. That's the whole point. So it's, you know, when you were trying to, when I'm trying to resist that, that's what I'm usually suffering. You know, um, I wish I could, sometimes I wish I could have a feeling of, of being happy all the time, but I've given that up because I know it's not going to, if it goes away, it won't mean it won't come back. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, everything's always moving. It's always, I think there's a way, and I don't know, I don't call it samadhi, but I think there's a way to be with all these various states. And I do believe that there's something that doesn't change. And um, sometimes you'll get a sense, uh, how can you say it, sort of like a, you can feel it kinesthetically, that there's something that doesn't change. And I think that's, um, that's where I like to try to put my attention. So would that be equanimity? Yeah, it feels peaceful. Um, I, that's the only, or quiet or something. Um, and, uh, and also there's some joy in there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, well, I, th I think it's the joy, um, joy at rest, serenity. So I have a question based on one experience that I had, because I don't know what names to attach to things, but I did have one experience several years ago into a meditative state where I, this is the best I can describe it. I went someplace where there was really no feelings. It wasn't a place of feelings. It was this vast place of, of energy, not feeling of good, bad, sad, happy, bliss, none of that. Feelings did not exist in that place. And in that place, I could perceive, at least this was my impression in that place, all lives past, present, and future. And in a very odd way, I could perceive them distinct from me and yet connected to me I don't know what that place was it was uh, to not feel and I don't mean not feel in a numb sense but it was devoid of what we humans characterize as feelings it is impersonal awareness it was being aware of what is and there's no personal attachment to that. It's mm. just a, an understanding that this is. Mm -hmm. And I've been in states like that, um, out of body and near death experiences where you don't, it's not about you. You're not, it's, you, it's, you know, the, the individual isn't um, important, but what is, is that ever, interconnected feeling that all boundaries are dropped and it's just expansive awareness. It sounds, I was going to say it, it a sounds, little. It sounds timeless. Does it was. And, yes. and a, yeah. a, friend, a friend who was meditating with me 
said I kept touching my arms and I kept touching my arms because I didn't feel a body. <laughs> I just felt this web yeah. of connection. So yeah, I was going to say that it was, which is like Mel what Melanie was saying, um, a loss of self. Mm. Right. And it's sort of like dreaming as well. When you're dreaming and you are lucid dreaming, you're dreaming, you think, oh, this is just a dream. You wake up. You know, that's, it's, it's just the experience that you really need to go with. And as soon as you bring realization to it, you snap out of it. Maybe the self is like the experiencer. It is. Yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting, too, uh, talking about lucid dreaming is um, when I've had lucid dreams, there might be something going on in the dream that was upsetting initially, but when it becomes lucid, there is a sense of, um, like you say, it's sort of um, like, oh, and nothing's wrong, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, nothing is, uh, you know, there, there's nothing to be upset it about. Is. <laughs> Melanie, de define what you mean by lucid dreaming, because my, my dream state is very distinct. It's as if I close a door to this world and I open a door to another one. They are so real. They're so, you know, everything's in color. It feels generally sequential. And sometimes in the morning I wake up because I feel like I've been awake all day and then I've lived another life all night. And what do you mean by lucid dreaming? Well, lucid for me, I, I just, I'll, I'll give you an example of a lucid dream I had some years ago. And in the dream, I was having a terrible argument with an ex-husband and I was crying. I was, I felt this is so unfair. I was feeling hurt and attacked. And then it became lucid and there was this knowing, there was this piece of me, almost like it was detached from the dream, looking at the dream saying, oh, poor thing. She thinks she's a person. That's why she's so unhappy. Mm. <laughs> and it came. Okay, it so it's an observer, an observer within your dream is what you mean it's, by lucid dreaming. It, it is that like, um, it's like your consciousness sort of becomes unmerged with the experience that you're having in the dream and is able to kind of, um, I don't know, for me, that's what it felt like. But I, I, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't the one in the dream who was upset. I was watching the one in the dream who was upset. And I had so much compassion for her. <laughs> but that was, that's, I, I've had other lucid dreams before. And I'm sure Melanie can explain her experience, which is, probably different but that's that's been my experience with lucid dreaming or one of them anyway is that what you meant by lucid dreaming melanie i mean being aware that you're dreaming mm -hmm. and dreaming is a co-creative event we, we are in the moment co-creating the dream and we can make choices and sometimes um it's, it's really interesting, the choices that we can make. But when the I character says, oh, this is a dream, oftentimes you will wake up 
And unfortunately, that puts an end to a very, what could be a very interesting, you know, experience. And sometimes you, the dreamed character says, oh, this is a dream. So I'm going to take off and fly because flying is what I love to do in my dreams. And, and that's great. And you can do that. Um, but then you kind of lose the, the co-creative nature of it. You feel more like the director than, than one of the actors. I guess I in a sense, I guess in a sense, I direct my dreams because generally before I go to sleep, I say, all right, self, what are you working on that I'm not aware of? And that must be what comes up in the dreams. Sure, sure. That's a great way to approach your dream work. It's really good. One thing I would say, though, you know, in my experience is that the, <clears throat> you know, I may wake up shortly but the knowing or the knowledge that came with the experience never leaves. It's mm. sort of like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. So. Well. Nelda, what do you think? Are we done? I think, I think it's, well, that would be for others to say if they've got more to share. It's all One been lovely. Things, One of the things that this Colin has brought up for me was the experience of um, being at a friend's house. My friend Susan said, we go wake up my daughter. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I'm like, <laughs> like, what, you know, just shake the kid and wake, kid wakes up. So I went in there and her daughter was sleeping very soundly and I moved her. She didn't wake up. I moved her harder. She didn't wake up. I kind of like talked in her ear. She didn't wake up. It took me about 20 minutes to wake up this kid. And I felt like such a failure. I felt like, you know, I should be able to wake a person up. And, you know, I, I just, it just made me realize that, it wasn't up to me to wake her up. She mm. had her own schedule and it's better not to do this. And Susan came and said, isn't she a terrible person to wake up? I hate waking her up. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's well, not up to us to wake her up. <laughs> you know, you know, Melanie, you know what that makes me um, remember is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Ajashanti. He's a, he's a, yeah, I, know Ajashanti. I, I love him. And uh, he once asked in retreat, the group, he said, um, if somebody is, let's say you want, uh, we talk about awakening as like waking up out of a dream. He says, so if someone were sleeping, how would you, how would you wake them up? How would you wake them up? And so everybody was saying, you know, if somebody was deep in sleep and they're, they're unaware of the truth of their being and they're deep in the sleep mm -hmm. state, how do you wake them up? And everybody came up with all kinds of ideas. Well, I would go in and I'd say, you're dreaming, wake up. Or somebody else would, you know, whatever. And he, he says, no, no. And, you know, people kept giving ideas about how they'd wake somebody up deep in a, in a, in a deep dream. And uh, finally, he said, no, what you would ask them is, well, he says, first of all, you have to enter their dream, become a dream character. And then he says, you would ask them, do you want to wake up? That's, that's 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 what um you just yeah. 
you were yeah. just illustrating to me. <laughs> yeah, obviously this girl did not want to wake up, so it's not up to me to wake her up. <laughs> A lesson learned. Huh? <laughs> so if, if you if you think of waking up as becoming enlightened, was she? Um, Is that what they were trying to do, is to enlighten her? Who, the girl? Melanie's, yeah. Melanie's friend or the no. girl whose name no, the was... the girl in the cone. Oh, okay. Yeah. De depart from consciousness. That I wondered, why was, she, why was that her name? Depart from consciousness. Because she'd go into such a deep state of samadhi. That just... Right, because there's a, a state prior to consciousness, perhaps. I don't know. I'm going to look that up. I'm going to Google that later. Anyone else? Now, I'm trying to think about that, uh, depart from consciousness. Right. It seems incongruent with being in samadhi, but, but may, I don't know. Did anyone take uh, Peg's class? Uh, I know, Kim, you did, right? on, uh, what was it called, um, co-rising? Uh, well, something also, relief from suffering. All the the recordings are, are on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Well, dependent co-rising. Escape, escape from suffering, I think. Yeah. But it was the Buddha's um, teaching on cause and effect, you know, and everything kind of happening at the same time. <laughs> But what I was struck by was the fact that consciousness um, in the way that Buddha was trying to explain it, which looked linear, but it isn't really linear, is actually arises out of something prior. So something what? Prior to consciousness. So, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, Peg was trying to tell me, well, it's not linear. And I, you know, because my mind wants to make it linear, you know, and, and so all of this moves, you know, I guess. And is that what Nelda did? Those, but, <laughs> this depart from consciousness, is that what Nelda did in the experience that she was talking about? Mm, no. Did you know. depart from consciousness, Nelda? Oh, define consciousness for me. I mean, I was very present in this timeless energy field of I mean it was beautiful it was just this web of stars which were like individuals but they we were all connected it's like when the penumbra of one star touches the penumbra of another so you're not really separated I don't know define what you mean by consciousness and I can tell you if I departed from it well, I'm referring to it kind of like a self-consciousness, a self-awareness, 
and you're, you weren't there, you were actually experiencing, back to that experience rather than experiencer. Yeah. I keep coming back and I've spoken about it before where a car swerved around the corner and I pulled my neighbor out of the way. And, and Joel did his, his Dharma talk on, on falling down and, and seeing this stone that his head was ready to hit and moving and all this stuff. And so that's not really, neither of these are, are really consciousness. You're in some other state. And yet you're there. And you're yet, exact, you really are there. Yeah. You really are there. Right, right, right. So I was very I mean, not aware enough. Oh, I know I'm, I'm here, but I was very there. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. I was, I was there. That's the best I can say. Anyway. And I can't recreate it. You know, I've tried, you know, how you try to recreate things. It just, it's not something I can recreate. It's not it's it is prior to everything it's it's the primal awareness it's it's mm. what is mm. <laughs> and you are what is we all are what is and when we drop our physical form that's how we'll feel <sighs> this is re really a treat to be with all of you tonight Thank Likewise, you. Kim. Thank you. And yeah. good night, everyone. Thank you for night. sharing, Thank everyone. To bring up during the all council meeting is that Flint's practice groups need to have someone in them willing to do the monitoring, not you. It needs to be someone within. And I think we need to bring that to Peg and Flint. You know, who will come 10 or 15 minutes early and set everything right. up and da da da. Right. And and I think we need to I think we need to bring that up to Peg and Flint. And I, but I think first we need to bring it to the council and say this is where we're seeing an issue. And I think we need to bring it up to Peg and Flint. If you're going to have these groups, then someone in your group needs to be responsible for AV monitoring. So that that's my opinion, but I feel pretty yeah. strongly about it because yeah. I I do see that people want to stay hybrid. They want to both be online and have the option to come, but unless they're willing to do it. And I had an email from Monica and she said um, she was doing the Zoom right now, but she was going to talk to her group about someone else taking over and, and passing that and which I think is good it needs to be each group needs to be responsible for their own AV monitoring does that make sense or find someone yeah or, however they do it but right but it, that person's not going to be me and not going to come out of the woodwork. good well I think that's what you need to keep saying Kim it's not going to be me because I think otherwise people are just assuming and relying on you to do it so I yeah. think you need to say in front of the council, I cannot do this job. Yeah, all right now time. I'm doing like five different groups or something right. and that's it. Right. Well, you have my support, Kim. That's all okay. I can say. Okay. Okay. Okay.
Thank you for talking. Bye. You're welcome. Good night.